This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chronicles of Canada Volume 4 The Jesuit Missions A Chronicle of the Cross in the Wilderness by Thomas Guthrie Marquis Chapter 1 The Recollect Friars for seven years the colony which Champlain founded at the Rock of Quebec lived without priests. Footnote. For the general history of the period covered by the first four chapters of the present narrative, see the new founder of France in this series. End footnote. Perhaps the lack was not seriously felt. For most of the two-score inmates of the settlement were Huguenot traders, but out in the great land, in every direction from the rude dwellings that housed the pioneers of Canada, roamed savage tribes, living, said Champlain, like brute beasts. It was Champlain's ardent desire to reclaim these beings of the wilderness. The salvation of one soul was to him of more value than the conquest of an empire. Not far from his native town of Brogue, there was a community of the Recollects, and, during one of his periodical sojourns in France, he invited them to send missionaries to Canada. The Recollects responded to his appeal, and it was arranged that several of their number should sail with him to the St. Lawrence in the following spring. So, in May 1615, three Recollect friars, Denis Jamais, Jean Aublois, Joseph Le Caron, and a lay-brother named Pacificus Duplessis, landed at Tadoussac. To these four men is due the honour of founding the first permanent mission among the Indians of New France. An earlier undertaking of the Jesuits in Acadia, 1611-13, to had been broken up. The Canadian mission is usually associated with the Jesuits, and rightly so, for to them, as we shall see, belongs its most glorious history, but it was the Recollects who pioneered the way. When the friars reached Quebec, they arranged a division of labor in this manner. Jamais and Duplessis were to remain at Quebec. Dobleau was to return to Tadoussac, and essay the thorny task of converting the tribes round that fishing and trading station, while to Le Caron was assigned a more distant field, but one that promised a rich harvest, six or seven hundred miles from Quebec, in the region of Lake Simcoe and the Georgian Bay dwelt the Hurons, a sedentary people living in villages and practicing a rude agriculture. In these respects they differed from the Algonquin tribes of the St. Lawrence, who had no fixed abodes and depended on forest and stream for a living. The Hurons, too, were bound to the French by both war and trade. Champlain had assisted them and the Algonquins in a battle against the common foe, the Iroquois, or five nations, and a flotilla of canoes from the Huron country, bringing furs to one of the trading posts on the St. Lawrence, was an annual event. The Recollects, therefore, felt confident of a friendly reception among the Hurons, and it was with buoyant hopes that Le Caron girded himself for the journey to his distant mission-field. On the 6th or 7th of July, in company with a party of Hurons, Le Caron set out from the island of Montreal, the Hurons had come down to trade, and to arrange with Champlain for another punitive expedition against the Iroquois, and were now returning to their own villages. 
It was a laborious and painful journey, up the Ottawa, across Lake Nipissing, and down the French River. But at length the friar stood on the shores of Lake Huron, the first of white men to see its waters. From the mouth of the French River the course lay southward for more than a hundred miles along the east shore of Georgian Bay, until the party arrived at the peninsula which lies between the Nottawasaga and Mackintosh Bays. Three or four miles inland, from the west shore of this peninsula, stood the town of Kerhagua, a triple palisaded stronghold of the Hurons. Here the Indians gave their priest an enthusiastic welcome, and invited him to share their common lodges. But as he had desired a retreat, in which he could meditate in silence, they built him a commodious cabin apart from the village. A few days later Champlain himself appeared on the scene and it was on the twelfth of august that he and his followers attended in le caron's cabin the first mass celebrated in what is now the province of ontario then while le caron began his efforts for the conversion of the benighted hurons champlain went off with the warriors on a very different mission an invasion of the iroquois country the commencement of religious endeavour in huronia is thus marked by an event that was to intensify the hatred of the ferocious Iroquois against both the Hurons and the French. Le Caron spent the remainder of the year, 1615, among the Hurons, studying the people, learning the language, and compiling a dictionary. Champlain, his expedition ended, returned to Huronia and remained there until the middle of January, when he and Le Caron set out on a visit to the Petun, or Tobacco Nation, then dwelling on the southern shore of Nottawasaga Bay, a two-days' journey southwest of Kerhagua. There had been, as yet, no direct communication between the French and the Petuns, and the visitors were not kindly received. The Petun sorcerers, or medicine men, dreaded the influence of the grey-robed friar, regarded him as a rival, and caused his teachings to be derided. After an uncomfortable month, Champlain and Le Caron returned to Caragua, where they remained until the 20th of May, and then set out for Quebec. When Le Caron reached Quebec on the 11th of July, 1616, he found that his comrades had not been idle. A chapel had been built, in what is now the lower town, close to the habitation, and here Father Jumet ministered to the spiritual needs of the colonists, and laboured among the Indians camped in the vicinity of the trading-post. Father Dolbois had been busy among the Montagnais, a wandering Algonquin tribe between the Tadoussac and Seven Islands. His reward being chiefly suffering, the filth and smoke of the Indian wigwams tortured him, the disgusting food of the natives filled him with loathing, and their vice and indifference to his teaching weighed on his spirit. The greatest trial the Recollects had to bear was the opposition of the company at St. Malo and Rouen, which was composed largely of the Huguenots, and had a monopoly of the trade of New France. Many of the traders were actively antagonistic to the spread of the Catholic religion, and they all viewed the work of the Recollects with hostility. It was the aim of the missionaries to induce the Indians to settle near the trading-post in order that they might the more easily be reached with the gospel message. The traders had but one thought, the profits of the fur trade, 
and, desiring to keep the Indians nomadic hunters of furs, they opposed bringing them into fixed abodes, and put every possible obstacle in the way of the friars. Trained interpreters in the employ of the company for both the Hurons and the various Algonquin tribes were ordered not to assist the missionaries in acquiring a knowledge of the native languages. The company was pledged to support six missionaries, but the support was given with an unwilling, niggardly hand. At length, in 1621, as a result of the complaints of Champlain and the Recollects before the authorities in France, the company of Saint-Malo and Rouen lost its charter, and the trading privileges were given to William and Emery de Caen, uncle and nephew. But these men were also Huguenots, and the unhappy condition of affairs continued in an intensified form. Champlain, though the nominal head of the colony, was unable to provide a remedy, for the real power was in the hands of the Cayennes, who had in their employment practically the entire population. Yet, in spite of all the obstacles put in their way, the Recollects continued their self-sacrificing labors. By the beginning of 1621 they had a comfortable residence on the bank of the St. Charles, on the spot where now stands the General Hospital. Here they had been granted two hundred acres of land, and they cultivated the soil, raising meagre crops of rye, barley, maize, and wheat, and tending a few pigs, cows, asses, and fowls. There were from time to time accessions to their ranks. Between the years 1616 and 1623, the fathers Guillaume Poulain, Georges Le Bailef, Paul Hewitt, Jacques de la Foy, Nicolas Vale, and several lay brothers, the most noted among whom was Gabriel Sagard Theodat, labored in New France. They made attempts to Christianize the Micmacs of Acadia, the Abnaki of the Upper St. John, the Algonquin tribes of the Lower St. Lawrence, and the Nipissings of the Upper Ottawa. But the work among these roving bands proved most disheartening, and once more the grey-robed friars turned to the Hurons. The end of August 1623 saw Le Caron, Vale, and Sagard in Huronia. Until October they seemed to have laboured in different settlements, Vale at Toanche, a short distance from Penetanguishing Bay, Sagard at Ossossany, near Daltz Bay, an indentation of Nottawasaga Bay, and Le Caron at Carhagua. It does not appear that they were able to make much of an impression on the savages though they had the satisfaction of some baptisms. During the winter, Sagard studied Indian habits and ideas, and with Le Caron's assistance, compiled a dictionary of the Huron language. Footnote. Sagard's observations were afterward given to the world in his Histoire du Canada et Voyages de Perez, Recollects en la Nouvelle France. Then, in June 1624, Le Caron and Sagard accompanied the annual canoe fleet to Quebec, and Vale was left alone in Huronia. The Recollects were discouraged. They saw that the field was too large, and that the difficulties were too great for them, and after invoking the light of the Holy Spirit, they decided, according to Sagard, to send one of their members to France to lay the proposition before the Jesuit fathers whom they deemed the most suitable for the work of establishing and extending the faith in Canada. 
so Father Irenaeus Pyatt and Brother Gabriel Sagard were sent to entreat to the rescue of the Canadian mission the greatest of all the missionary orders, an order which had filled the whole world with memorials of great things done and suffered for the faith, the militant and powerful Society of Jesus. End of chapter 1